Well, church, I have a confession to all of you. I want to share with you something that has sort of plagued me for my entire life, and and it certainly followed me into this church world. Something that I fight every single Sunday as I get in my car and I head home after we've packed everything up and wrapped up yet another Sunday morning here at Grumlaw, it's thoughts like these that inevitably start popping into my head. Shay, you were, you were speaking just a little too fast when you first jumped up on the stage. Shay, you, you stuttered over those couple of words. You notice people just kind of started getting disengaged at that point. That There wasn't any toilet paper in that first stall. Uh, someone forgot to put out that sign in, in the bathroom. Shay, as you pulled out, did you see that that flag at the an- entrance was just a little bit crooked? Uh, we were a little late getting that slide on the screens, and on, 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 my mind goes, almost instinctively obsessing over what we could have done better, what we could have done to make everything just perfect. And usually, before my mind spirals too far out of control, I get this this small, still whisper from the Holy Spirit saying to me, Shay, Shay, who cares? You're you're doing it again. Stop getting worked up over all these details and instead, Shay, focus on all of the good that happened this morning. Actually, it was just a couple of weeks ago on September 12th. uh, You may recall, hopefully you recall, uh, on that particular Sunday, uh, over 20 people uh, went public with their faith through baptism. It was an incredible Sunday, but yet I was driving away. I'm not even going to confess to you what I was thinking about on that particular day. And and it was this moment where where God almost seemed to like slap me upside the head and be like, are are you serious right now? Did, did, Did you already forget 20 people, over 20 people? have gone public with their faith. Like, Shay, seriously, what is wrong with you? But, but, but I told you I, I had a confession to make this morning. I am a perfectionist. If you similarly fall into this category, can, can you please just repeat this with me right now, wherever you're watching from? I am a perfectionist. It's kind of therapeutic, isn't it? Well, well today we're heading into part three of a five-part series titled Chasing Carrots, this, this endless pursuit of more, where, where we're talking about how every single one of us, come on, we all, we get baited in this lie that if we could just get that, or, or we could just get more of that, then, then our lives would be perfect, then we'd be good, then we would finally be content. But, but as every single one of us have experienced, it, it never ends up being enough, does it? If you did miss either one of those first two parts of the series, I would really encourage you to head on over to grumlaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. In part one, we talked about fame, uh, how we all have this desire, this, this need almost to be liked, to be approved, to be respected. So even if you're not trying to become a YouTube sensation, uh, we all have these micro cravings for fame. And, and then in part two, we talked about, well, stuff. Uh, Last week, we talked about the fact that that we, as Americans in particular, we have a propensity to just kind of accumulate more and more and more and more, so much to the point that we have storage units and and barns and and attics where we just cram even more and more and more stuff into there. And I promise you, if you are an American, this definitely applies to you. So make sure, again, you're going back to grumlaw.com slash messages, catching up there, or per usual, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. But let's go back to the subject at hand for this morning, Uh, perfectionism. Isn't it interesting that no matter how hard we try, no no matter how much effort we put forward, we, we never end up getting it, well, 
perfect. I mean, Stephen Curry, to try as hard as he might, I mean, arguably the greatest shooter of all time in the game of basketball. He never ends up getting to the end of a season having made 100% of his free throws, which is interesting, right? Because they're called free. I mean, they're free throws, but yet he doesn't make all of them. Did Tom Brady, even with his head that is just full of just beautiful hair and his suave good looks, he never completes 100% of his passes. You don't get a 100% perfect A-plus grade on every single one of your tests, on every single one of your assignments. You don't make every one of your clients happy. As parents, I mean, come on, we can't even make it a week without one short-tempered episode with our children. Our lives, and honestly, it didn't take anyone else to point this out to you, your life has shown you that, that perfection is absolutely unattainable. But it doesn't keep us from continuing to pursue it, does it? And what's an even more interesting phenomenon is that while we expect perfection from ourselves, we likely don't place that type of an expectation on anyone else, do we? While we expect perfection of ourselves, we're usually actually quick to extend grace to those around us. I mean, if your kid gets an A- minus on a test, they walk through the door, you don't berate them. You don't say, how dare you have gotten those couple of questions wrong. You don't kick them out of the house. Your coworker kind of botches up the presentation. You encourage them. You say, it's okay, you're going to do better the next time. Your best friend absolutely blows it on that date. You tell them, don't worry about it. Nobody's what? Nobody is perfect. You're so quick <laughs> to extend that grace to others, but usually not so much to yourself. And then when you inevitably don't live up to that incredibly high, that incredibly unrealistic standard, you end up feeling guilt and shame and unworthiness. And to make all of this even worse, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we have these passages of Scripture. We have verses uh, like this one that we're going to look at here in, in the Bible, specifically from Matthew's biographical account of the life of Jesus, where we're told, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, these are actually words from Jesus himself. And it's like, thanks a lot, Jesus. I, I appreciate you not setting the bar here too high. And let's be honest, even if you don't call yourself a Christian, it's, it's not as if our culture, our American culture in particular, is helping us out. We, we, we receive hundreds, if not thousands, of these subtle perfectionist messages every single day. That, that, that makeup ad that tells you that even though you have four kids, you can barely keep your head above water, that you better look your Sunday best in that pickup line at school. The, the, the social media post of that, that perfect family with perfect smiles and they all have these perfectly matching outfits sitting in the middle of a field on antique furniture because apparently that's normal. The, the sales report revealing exactly where you stand amongst your peers month to month. The, the Peloton ad revealing how much fun it is that you get to work out while your baby sits peacefully next to you playing with their Melissa and Doug toy. Come on, I, I don't care who you are. We all wrestle with this pursuit of perfection at some level. Some of us will pursue perfection in some areas only to lie by portraying an image of ourselves that isn't reality. Can, can anyone say Instagram? You may find yourself avoiding something that you would really like to do, but you won't because you don't feel like you'll hit the standard. And so rather than risking failing, you just avoid it altogether. Or maybe like me, you'll obsess over something to get it just right. I mean, to the point of inefficiency or ineffectiveness, not realizing that perfectionism can actually be the enemy of progress. 
people far wiser than me have actually concluded that there are actually three types of perfectionists, which we're going to look at right now. The first one is that self-oriented perfectionist. It's that individual, you hold unrealistically high expectations of yourself and you battle with feelings of, of guilt, often obsessing to the point of inefficiency. You're prone to procrastinate and struggle with deep feelings of inadequacy. Again, that's that self-oriented perfectionist. But then there's the externally oriented perfectionist. It's you believe others expect you to be perfect. You place that expectation on yourself. And to cope with the pressure, you often use self-deprecating humor as a defense. You often feel alone, depressed, and desperate because you know you will never be enough. And then lastly, that third type of perfectionist is the others-oriented perfectionist. You expect others to live up to your impossible standards. And because you tend to lack empathy, you often tear others down or use abrasive and demeaning humor towards those who don't meet your impossibly high standards. Some of you, you have a parent like this. Some of you had a parent like this. Some of you have a boss like this, but let's just be vulnerable for a second. Some of you are this parent. Some of you are this boss, this supervisor. Now, now undeniably, this whole idea of perfectionism, it's partly a psychological issue. And if you're new to this whole church thing, you might think it's actually completely a psychological issue. But but for both the Christian and the non-Christian alike, I'm asking you to consider this morning that that it actually runs so much deeper than that. It it runs deeper than just a psychological issue, that at its root, it's actually a spiritual issue. Perfectionism, when you think about it, it is typically a covering for our deepest insecurities or our deepest fears. For instance, maybe your father was absolutely miserable at showing love to you. And so kind of in this weird twisted way, you actually end up being overly demanding to your own children as a way to somehow make up for that. But, but, but I would ask you to consider that perfectionism or, or that pursuit of perfection is actually a covering for our sinfulness. It's a covering for our sinful nature. It's this idea that, that, that if I achieve perfection, then I'll be good enough for him. Then I'll be good enough for her. Then maybe I'll be good enough for me. Maybe I'll even be good enough for God. If there is indeed a God out there, maybe, just maybe he'll accept me if I get my act together. This actually stretches all the way back to the very first human beings. You might remember their names, Adam and Eve. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, they lived in perfect unity with God. There was this holiness that encompassed them. They were completely free and in front of God, and the pressure was completely off. But then, and many of you know how this story goes, they disobeyed God. They blatantly disobeyed him. And what happens next? They feel insecure. They see themselves as flawed, and consequently, they made coverings for their own bodies in an effort to cover those insecurities, in an effort to cover up their sin. If at its root, perfectionism is actually a spiritual issue, and even if you're sitting here today and you're watching and you're not really sure where you stand with this whole Jesus, this church, this Christianity thing, let's just pretend you're at least entertaining that possibility. If this is a spiritual issue, then we must come to the logical conclusion that God must be the one to solve said spiritual issue. And what does God have to say about this? In Paul's uh, early letter to the Christian church in Rome, God speaks through the writings of Paul to all of us specifically on this issue. He says, for everyone has sinned. And just in case you're curious, you fall into that category. Everyone, all of us. 
We all, and again, all includes everyone, as in every human being who has ever stepped foot on this earth, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. None of us are perfect. None of us have the ability to get it together on our own. Now that statement in isolation, it's about as depressing as it gets, right? And if I'm being perfectly honest, it's statements like these right here that don't really make Jesus, that don't really make Christianity very appealing to our world. Our world, and American society in particular, we, we, we peddle perfection. Our world loves to declare that, that, that you're good, that you can just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do whatever you set your mind to. But again, th- this morning, I'm asking you to at least entertain this idea that this is, at its root, a spiritual issue. And again, if it's a spiritual issue, I'm going to keep reminding us of this, it's God's issue to solve. It is God's issue to speak truth into. And God right here, in, in quite plain terms, is declaring that, that you, that me, all of us, every person who has ever walked the earth is a, a sinner. We all fall short. We, we all screw up. We all can't seem to get it together. And, and if you're watching right now and, and you have a tough time coming to grips with that, you, you have a hard time coming to terms with this idea that you are indeed a sinner, well, one, join the club, but two, I, I just challenge you, you don't have to admit this to anyone else, just, just think about this for a second. I, isn't it true that you literally do stuff all the time, <laughs> where almost immediately afterwards, you're walking by yourself, you're driving by yourself, you're sitting in a chair, I don't care where you are, but you're alone and you are thinking to yourself, what in the heck is wrong with me? Why did I do that again? Why did I say that again? Why did I call him? Why did I call her? Why did I go there? I can't believe I did it again. And God's saying, bingo, that's it. That's that sinful nature. You are incapable of getting it together on your own. A spiritual issue. So it's God's issue to solve. And even though it doesn't sound very warm and fuzzy to label yourself as a sinner, I'm telling you, it's incredibly important. God, with these words right here, he's not being a jerk. He's just being honest. And until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see a need for a savior. You won't even understand what you need to be rescued from. Spiritual issue, therefore God's dissolve, and he does not leave us to wallow around in this mess that we have created for ourselves, to wallow around in our sin problem. No, he solves this spiritual issue for us. He he offers us a solution. In fact, he offers us his one and his only son. In the very next verse, we're told, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. It's like, well, how in the heck did he do that? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, when he freed us from our sin problem. Just a couple of verses earlier, we're told this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We correct that sin problem that we cannot solve ourselves by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Just as it is true that we all fall short, that we all are sinners, it's also true, God's an equal opportunist here, 
It's true that everyone who believes, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, you have that opportunity to be made right with him no matter who we are. And just to make sure this is crystal clear, that everyone includes you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like. This spiritual, this sin issue is fixed the exact same way for every one of us. By placing our faith in Jesus. That the redemptive work of Jesus on that cross some 2,000 years ago. But here's what happens. That the perfectionist inside of us loves to tinker with this. We, we, we love complicating what Jesus made so extraordinarily simple. We, we just can't get our heads around the idea that God made the standard so incredibly simple. That, that this idea that we really do correct our sin problem through faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. That perfectionist whispers, that can't possibly be it. So, so we try faith plus church attendance. Or maybe faith plus good works. Or faith, and every once in a while, I'm going to drop a $20 bill in that bucket just so I don't feel as guilty. Or, or faith, plus I'm going to try really, really, really hard to not do those bad things. And God says, no, it's not any of that. I'm going to keep reminding us of this. This is a spiritual issue. So it's God's issue to solve. And his solution, you ready for this? Is faith plus nothing. It's not perfectionism. It's grace. See, perfectionism is all about what I do. Grace is all about what Jesus has already done. Perfectionism is all about me. But grace, it's all about Jesus. Perfectionism says, if I obey, then maybe God will love me. Maybe then he will embrace me. He will accept me. But no, 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 no. Grace is the complete opposite of that. It's because God loves me and how he so beautifully displayed that love for me when he gave his one and only son for me on the cross, I now choose to obey. I want to make him happy. I want to please him. I want to follow him with my life in every area because he's already demonstrated how much he loves me, how much he has my best interest in mind. And then lastly, perfectionism says, I'm going to try to win God's approval. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to finally be perfect. I'm going to stop screwing up. But with grace, y'all, this is so good. We get to live in God's approval because again, of what Jesus has already done for us. See, even if you're new to this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, I don't think it's too hard to see how much better, better of a way to live this is. I mean, all that pressure is suddenly gone. But because of Jesus, I don't have to live that perfect life. The pressure to be perfect, it gets lifted from you. Step out of that pressure and into his grace. When we begin to embrace this, it it, it not only should impact how we think, but also how we live. So so for the rest of our time together, I want to make this really, really practical, just two points of application that that I'm praying that you will really consider living out. Even again, if you're just beginning to explore. And again, if you are sitting here and you're new to all this and you're not really sure yet where you stand with this whole Jesus guy, I just want you to ask yourself very, very practically right now, what do I have to lose? 
(laughs) Because again, your life has already shown you that you cannot be perfect, that you consistently fall short of perfection. So, So rather than getting caught in that hamster wheel, constantly pursuing perfection like so many people around us, why not give Jesus a shot? Seriously, what do you have to lose? Okay, two points of application. Point number one, choose people over perfection. There's a story that we find in the book of Luke, Luke being one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus that illustrates uh, this point so beautifully well. In fact, we actually broke this story down in great, great detail in a recent series that we did called The Art of Neighboring. If you weren't here for that series, go back and listen to it, but I'm going to quickly recap it now. It's, It's this interaction that Jesus has with two sisters, Mary and Martha. But basically the story goes like this. Jesus, with a bunch of other guests, shows up at the house of Mary and Martha, and he's like, hey, we're here. We, we want to have dinner with you guys tonight. And, and Martha quickly snaps into, like, I am going to be Mrs. Hospitality. And she goes around, and she's trying to make everything perfect. She's setting the table, and she's cooking the food, and she's cleaning the house. I mean, she is frantically running around, trying to make sure that every detail is just right, all while her sister Mary is just lounging around, listening to Jesus. And she actually goes so far as to make this pretty passive-aggressive comment that Mary was definitely within earshot. And she's like, hey, Jesus, if you don't mind, why don't you mention to to Mary that that I'm in here working my tail off, and if she, I don't know, could work it into her schedule, why don't you ask her to come and help me? And, And I have to think, much to Martha's surprise, Jesus replies by saying, my dear Martha, You're worried and you're upset over all these details, trying to make everything just right. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, people are so much more important than perfection. And Martha, you don't totally understand the how significant this is, but I'm telling you, I am so much more significant. I I am Jesus. I am the son of God. I'm telling you, I am so much more important than the pot roast. I already confessed to you that at the beginning of this message, I really do wrestle with this. I am a recovering perfectionist. In fact, when my wife and I first got married, I mean, this was like out of control. I, I, I could not stand having people over to my house. Seriously, I, 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 it drove me nuts. I was worried people weren't going to take their shoes off. I was worried that kid was going to spill like the glass of milk at dinner. I was worried they were going to elbow the lamp and somehow break it. Seriously, like all these worst case scenarios would circle around in my head. I was so worried that people were going to mess up my little perfect kingdom, my world. We fast forward to present day, and God has worked tremendously in this way in my life, and now we'll have worship nights in my backyard where we literally invite all of you. You all just kind of come out and hang out in my backyard in the summer on these random Thursday and Friday nights. We have people over for our house to, to our house for dinner uh, at least a couple of times a week. In fact, we've literally had friends live with us for, for years at a time. But for far too long as I reflect on that, I, I was placing perfection ahead of people. Think about that. I was placing perfection ahead of living, breathing human beings whom Jesus saw fit to die for. We we talk as a staff about this all the time. I I, I want people to walk into excellent environments here at Grumlaw. I I want us to have a high attention to detail. I I want us to kind of not so subtly be communicating to everyone who walks through our doors. We were expecting you. We, We were expecting guests but never, never at the expense of people. 
I, I never want to arrive at a place where our to-do list or our job performance or our programs are placed ahead of living, breathing people. This is likely going to look different from person to person, but ask yourself, where are you placing perfection ahead of people? Might you be like me, that you're not opening up your home to neighbors and coworkers and friends and even people at this church because you're just so worried about everything being just right? Do your employees maybe see themselves as just these instruments to achieve financial success for the company or are they actually people who are cared for by their boss? Are you so preoccupied with your to-do list that your kids and your spouse basically see themselves as obstacles getting in the way of its completion? Where are you placing perfection ahead of people? And then point number two, choose perfect love over perfect performance. And I'm just gonna let you in on a little quick secret here. You get this one right, and that whole idea of placing people ahead of perfection, it gets a whole lot easier and it becomes a whole lot more natural. We can choose, this is on you, you can choose the perfect love of our Father rather than doing our best to impress him or somehow win his approval. I want to tell you something that's quite true. There is nothing that you can do (laughs) that's going to impress God. Seriously. That there has never been a moment where God has looked down on you or God has looked down on me and he's thought to himself, wow, Shay, I mean, that was, whoo, that was impressive. I mean, Shay, you really just blew me away right now. He's God. He's the same dude that created entire galaxies seemingly with a snap of his fingers. And, And I don't share that with you to discourage you, but to encourage you that there is nothing you can do to get God to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to get God to love you less. So stop trying to perform your way back to him. He already declared and demonstrated how much he loves you, how crazy he is about you when he sent his son to die for you. So choose that perfect love. Remember, pursuing perfection, it's just a covering of our deepest fears and our deepest insecurities. It's a sinful way to attempt to cover up our sinfulness. For some of you, it's a deep feeling of inadequacy. For others, it's shame. For some of you, it's guilt, maybe a fear of rejection, or maybe even just a fear of being judged. But remember, God does not call you to be perfect. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned that verse out of Matthew that says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so you might be thinking, Shay, didn't you just say, we're not called to be perfect, that, that would seem to fly in the face of that. The, the only problem with me using this verse earlier in the message is that I took it wildly out of context. By the way, this is a bit of a sidebar. Uh, that's really, really important to consider the totality of be, what is being said when reading scripture, because I'm telling you, and unfortunately people have done this all throughout human history, you can take verses wildly out of context to support just about anything. But, but let me show you where Jesus was coming from when he made this statement. This verse, just to be very, very clear, it has nothing, nothing to do with performance. It's all about love. It is not about behavior. It's about our response to God's love that was so beautifully displayed on the cross for you. A couple verses earlier, Jesus says these words. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's 
very reasonable thought. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who actually cause you harm. And then he goes on, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Are are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, we can't really appreciate how despised tax collectors were back at this point in history, but this was Jesus' very blunt way of saying like, okay, so you're just going to love the people that love you back? Doesn't everybody do that? I mean, don't don't kind of like the worst of the worst do that? I mean, that is so easy. In fact, that's actually kind of natural to just love those who love you well. And he goes on, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? A pagan is somebody that doesn't believe in God. A pagan is somebody who doesn't believe that God exists. He's going, don't even people who who deny my existence, don't those people love well those around them that that treat them really well? And and don't they respect those who respect them? I mean, that's not really that hard at all. And so then he goes on to say, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not talking about our performance. He's not talking about our behavior. He's talking about us being perfected in love. Let me state this plainly just one more time. Perfectionism is a spiritual issue. Therefore, it's God's to solve. And and, and how did he go about solving it? By telling us to try harder and Come on, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it together. No. (laughs) He solved it by giving us his son. (laughs) He covered our sin with the blood of his one and only child. He solved it by the most loving act that this world has ever seen and will ever see. And because of the redemptive work done by Jesus on the cross, we now have the opportunity to choose perfect love over perfect performance. We can be perfected, as Jesus says, perfected in love. In the original Greek, we actually draw that word perfect from a word that means made perfect. And that might be a better translation. You can be made complete, made perfect, not because of your performance, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. And because of what Jesus has done for you, now go and reflect that audacious love to the world. Love your enemies. Pray for those who harm you. Love as you have been loved. It's like, how have I been loved? Oh yeah, that's right. You gave your life for me. Be mature and complete in how well you love. Remember, Jesus did not die for us once we got our acts together. He died for us while we were still sinners. Our role, especially as followers of Jesus, is not to convince the world of how great we are. Our role is to convince the people around us how good God is. And we accomplish that by being perfected in love by showing the love of Jesus to a world who so desperately needs him. 
There's a couple of this church, uh, Graham and Stephanie Seacrest. In fact, they've been a part of this church from, from the get-go. Graham uh, serves actually as our portability director in Graham Blank. He's the guy responsible along with a team of people to set up and tear down every week. Stephanie has served in a, in a wide array of roles. Uh, she's on our music team and just crushes it in that area. But about a year ago, uh, they had their first child. And just recently, actually, this last week, uh, Stephanie put up a video of, of their son, Graham, taking some of his first steps. And you're seeing that right now. And uh, you know, like most little kids, when they first start taking those first steps, like they're like this drunken Frankenstein, right? I mean, they're honestly not very good at it. But actually, play it one more time. Do, do, you, do you see the, the look on his dad's face as he's walking right there in the background? It's just pure joy. He, he's so proud of his kid. Even though baby Graham only took a couple of steps and honestly he's not very good at walking, he's just so excited. No, he doesn't scold him. He doesn't look at him and say, you sorry, good for nothing, or uncoordinated son of a gun. I can't believe that you could only take a couple steps. I'm trading you in for somebody who's better at this. No, he's this proud dad. He's so excited his kid has just taken a couple of steps. And for any parents who are watching, you remember that well. When your child inevitably stumbles, you pick them back up and you encourage them. You tell them, it's okay, try it again. Your heavenly father looks at you the exact same way. He's not withdrawing himself. He's not withdrawing his love when you mess up, when you fall short, when you don't achieve perfection. No, he's he's cheering you on. He's this proud dad that's so excited that you're even trying, that you're just taking a couple of steps, that every day you're doing your best to choose that perfect love over perfect performance. I want to wrap this up by showing us some words out of 1 John. So much truth here. It says, there's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fear of not being approved. Fear of not getting it right. Fear of disappointing. Fear of not measuring up. Fear of not being perfect. Jesus, when he died on that cross for you, declared, we no longer have to worry about getting it right. We no longer have to worry about being perfect. The pressure's off. You don't have to work for his approval. He already stamped on you approved when he died for you. So step into, step into his love.